Welcome to the Peak Provider NDIS podcast. My name is Chris Hall, your host, and today I've got Jason Collins with me. Now, Jason Collins is from Loomery. Um, you may well have heard of Loomery. It's one of the top tier um, client management systems out there. They can do rostering, billing, payroll, the whole lot. Um, and Jason is in charge of strategic corporate development. He's the vice president for the organization there. Um, and today we're going to talk about not really kind of so much Loomery. It's about his journey in the NDIS because he's got a fascinating background uh, and including, you know, formerly being the CIO for Life Without Barriers. So he's kind of got a very interesting uh, software development background combined with disability um, and lots of other things. And I want to sort of bring that all together to to kind of explore some of the learnings that um, he's come to realize by working, should we say, um, in both sides of the industry. Um, so Jason, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, look, I mean, look, you've got your current role now. Um, so the chief information officer role, the CIO, um, that was a role you had at Life Without Barriers. That was for six years. Um, and now, indeed, Lumery is a software company. Now, of course, Lumery works inside of, you know, both the health side of things, but also the NDIS. Um, but can I just ask, what, what made you transition to the disability sector? Yeah, good question. I mean, Life Without Barriers was, is a bit of an institution in Newcastle. It was started there by a couple of local business people um, a few decades ago. Uh, so it already always known about it. And one of the, um, the earliest CEOs was a mentor of mine for a little while. So um, always had quite a bit of involvement in the organisation in the early days. Um, for me, then I sort of travelled. I worked in the UK, worked in New Zealand, uh, Melbourne, a few other places, more in sort of banking and, and mm. insurance. Um, health insurance. Um, but yeah, the opportunity came up for Life Without Barriers and I described it with two hands. I'd, I'd been involved a little bit in the NDIS um, just when it was launching. So at NIB Health Insurance, where I worked, we had a bit of a working group looking at um, the NDIS and what we might be able to do to assist in that space. Um, so I had some had quite a bit of understanding of the challenges that were coming and um, for me, joining Life for That Barriers was just very early days in, in the NDIS rollout. So it was a great time for me. I, I could, you know, great challenges, but also great opportunities. And I kind of liked that that challenge myself. So yeah, nice. uh, for me, it was, a, it was an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I actually didn't know that Life Without Barriers was a Newcastle founded organization. Yeah. 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 Right. right. Yeah. I'm, I'm a coastie. No, I'm just local business people. Yeah, yeah, there's a coastie just down the road in the central coast. There you go. There's a local bit of knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, it's quite amazing, actually, how many of the top 25, you know, are actually just New South Wales based. Like, for example, Achieve Australia is New South Wales based as well. And, you know, yeah. both organizations do an amazing job. Um, and it's just interesting to hear those, those roots there. Um, mm. Yeah. And it goes to show, by the way, when I think about the growth of organizations in the NDIS, I think a lot of providers get a bit stressed out with the idea of having to go national all the time. Um, bit of a side note, but you know, there's so much stuff you can do in your in your local area or in just your state. There is definitely. And Life Without Barriers has always had this commitment from the beginning about doing, I guess, caring for people that were, you know, where there's a lot of complexity and challenge there. And they've never said no to anyone. It's part of their core. Uh, you know, values. So um, I guess that sort of meant that that growth has happened fairly quickly uh, to be, you know, one of the largest now. So mm. when, when yeah. I think about my my former IT career was at Accenture. So that was my first thing I did out of university in my twenties. So that kind of like I, I see it like my marine boot camp of professional services, where you get hammered and do your fifty six hour weeks and have your high pressured environments and learn how to do project management, learn about systems. Um, just th that to me was like a great foundation for my career because I still bring that professionalism and um, an IT project management perspective to what I do now in the NDIS. Like I can't escape the inner geek that I've got. Um, just yep. on a similar note, I'd be kind of interested to hear from you from, from your banking sector experience. Um, are there any particular threads of foundation that you feel are still with you today? Oh, definitely. I, th I think, you know, working on complex you know, highly stressed environments. I think it's it's a good foundation to have that. I think I've got to say too, though, um, moving to life without barriers, it is it is a quite complex, large organization, mm -hmm. and, and really well run. It's um, you know there were challenges with the NDIS coming across and the difference in funding. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of similarities in you know any big organization to survive at that size is has to be mature. 
So they have to have a certain standard that that they do apply. But I think, you know, for me, the working for um, working in larger financial services organisations gives a really good foundation in in complexity and managing managing finances and those sorts of things that you know certainly is carried through other parts of my career. True, and and I'd say that you know, gosh, we're fair and DIS providers at the grassroots level. Cash flow is king, right? So you know, I, I think that best practice nowadays is to do your billing weekly, for example. And I think a lot of providers, you know, uh, sometimes get stuck on being inconsistent on their billing, um, you know, regularity. Um, some people, you know, think monthly is okay. Some people think it's a big achievement to go to fortnightly. But increasingly, from a technological point of view. Gosh, if you just get your ducks in a row, it actually doesn't have to be a big stress, does it, to do things weekly? No, that's right. And a lot of that now, you know, particularly in the steel space, a lot of that can be automated as well. So, mm. um, you know, it's really light touch for some of that regular recurring billing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that should be the focus here, getting to that point where it's light touch, it's regular billing, the cash flow is not an issue. Um, particularly, I mean, with with the NDIS, one of the, it's fantastic the amount of choice that it gives to participants but financially there's a big challenge on providers to really make sure that you know they've got you know cash to pay people's wages so mm. um, not as easy as it used to be yeah absolutely and when you say automated there on the sales side are you are you are you um alluding to weekly billing where you can basically take the average for example across the year and say on average yeah. public holidays all of the variations aside this is the average invoice amount that's right. There are and there are there are a lot of things as part of it. You know, a seal uh, support agreement that you know a, a, you know in advance what's going to happen. So setting that up as a as an automated regular billing process, I think is good practice. Yes, I, I agree. Um, there's a, for those interested, I, I just did a webinar on that called Mastering Seal. It's at peakprovider.com.au with a, a specialist called Resolve, and that's exactly one of the things they recommend because the whole cash flow thing, like it's it's quite normal to pay your staff fortnightly. And we know that even with plan managed participants, it can take, I don't know, depends on your plan manager. Some are like three days, seven days, 10 days more. So it's all about just getting it out there. I see it like a ping pong match. As soon as that ball comes to your court, yep. you've got to hit it straight back um, and keep the movement, keep the momentum. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, so the, okay. So I can, I can, the reason I picked up on that is that I think about the money in your finance background and yeah, I could, the cash flow is king. That's what kind of comes present for me. Yeah. I mean, there's always other things like irregular supports. You've got to be on top of those things too. But I think the, the recurring things that you know in advance um, should be automated where possible. Correct. I mean, even the irregular supports thing, I feel like, you know, sometimes it can be educational disconnect with maybe the rostering team doesn't always know what that actually means and when you're allowed to use it and how to capture things in a certain way. So, you know, training is very important for that. Um, if, if I just wind up to a macro level, because I mean, you know, Life Without Barriers, amazing experience. Six years, that's, I'm sure, got a lot of depth um, to it where you've you know seen uh, things come and go. You've probably changed systems. You, you, you've probably done a bunch of projects, I'm sure, um, in terms of implementation. So having gone through all of those life cycles uh, of that, um, you know, if you were to kind of just put that CIO hat back on for a second, and um, when you think about client management systems from an agnostic CMS level point of view, um, what would you say the top three priorities are for any NDIS provider from a CMS? Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think we've touched on a couple already. So particularly around anything around efficiency of workforce management, that's always number one. Mm-hmm. So making sure, particularly if you're a provider with a large number of, of support workers, um, it's, it's quite complex to do that efficiently without having sort of claims linkage and making sure that... Um, yeah, that's that's really done efficiently. Not so much penalties in in terms of payments and so on, um, and really doing that within the funding envelope that's that's given to a particular participant is a big challenge. Yeah, I think the second one I mentioned claiming as well, but anything around the financial side, it's really a you know sometimes it can be survival um, work that's happening there. So making sure that claiming, as I mentioned before, is automated where possible. Uh, and also, we have an API <clears throat> that interfaces to Proto at the moment, so you know we can we can do that automated claiming uh, process now. But I think the third one for me, and I always like to bring it back to this. You know, those things are good and they're very important for survival of an organisation. But I think it, there's a big challenge around quality of care. Um, so things like making sure that you know there's a plan uh, with goals for for participants. 
and that's being tracked and working towards those things. And then some of the other things around um, restrictive practices, yep. uh, medication management, incident management, those things too. I think doing those things really well and be able to hand on heart say that, you know, a provider is giving really good quality uh, service and care to a participant. I think that's the the third challenge i would always like to call that out too mm, yeah absolutely because i mean look when i've having been the director of a facility provider myself like i again my it brain when it was like an alarm bell going off we went wait a minute we got our system we got various systems right we had a honestly yeah it was just a fairly average rostering system and that was a yeah not, not very well known um and um and then we had that combined with their own portal combined with other things and 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 it was it was all good but we used microsoft and and i kind of i was like oh wait a minute we've got an opportunity to use microsoft standard functionality from a sharepoint point of view and sharepoint for those that don't know it's like google google drive or OneDrive, but for the organization and it's collaborative and you go have team members and all that kind of stuff and the point was for me is that when i thought about observations for example like say if you wanted to you know, input something onto the PRN register or you want to have a restrictive practice register, do do an observation for a stool chart, whatever. Um, <clears throat> by using Microsoft stuff, you could you could do that observation, you know, as a live document because I feel like architecturally you fundamentally got relatively static documents that could be the support plan, could be the current year's behavior support plan. It could be the things that are the things to read if you've not worked with the person before. And then you've got the live documents that need to be maintained and added to and, you know, registers, et cetera. So um, what, one thing I, I, I do really enjoy about the Luminary solution, having looked under the hood, is that I know um, you can do certain observations, can't you, within the system. So it's kind of like within the actual CMS itself, you can make an yeah. observation directly, mm -hmm. can't you? Yeah, and I think that's, a, that's, that's really key, um, you know, sort of tracking data within you know, forms or, or so on is really important because you can mm. say that you're doing the observations that you need to do, but mm. tracking data points discreetly um, against observations or recordings of, you know, activities for clients, I think is really important because then you can use that and, and track that over time and then determine, you know, behavior that you do after that. So, you know, you mentioned still charts or, or, you know, food intake, fluid intake, those sorts of things. If you're tracking those and you can see some patterns there it's really key to be able to access that yeah i think you know to, just to really be really really understand where the participant is at and what their needs are and be able to meet those needs accordingly yes exactly because i mean you know that that's mentioning one specific thing about luminary and you know the, the, again there are systems that, that they don't offer that and what they can do is offer a file upload but again it's static so again it's that simple distinction what's static what's live you know what needs to be yeah. maintained um mm -hmm. Yeah, because because again, like I think providers miss that point sometimes that you can't only upload your static documents if you if, yeah, because then you can res resort to honestly bad practices such as printing things off and doing pieces of paper and take like that either stays at the house or it never gets digitized and it's just a it's a mess like it's not how things should be done anymore. You need a digital solution. So you either need a comprehensive enterprise grade solution like Luminary. Or you need to combine yeah. your CMS and what it can do for maybe static documents, but then have something like whatever that is, some kind of digital solution to maintain registers and observations elsewhere. Yeah. In system no, absolutely. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, okay. And um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I totally agree with those things. By the way, for people listening, when I say CMS, like I'm, I'm talking about your rostering, your billing, you know, some people use different terms, right? Um, interestingly enough, working in sales and marketing, uh, sometimes I say to people, do you have a CRM? And they go, yeah, 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 we've got Luminary. Yeah, 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 we've got blah, you know. Um, and they go, no, 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 wait a minute. That, that, I, I would call that a CMS, right? I, I would say that, you know, for, for like thoroughbred end-to-end -end sales and marketing, I'm talking about HubSpot, Active Campaign, that kind of stuff. And, you know, my, my simple observation, but I want to hear your point of view as well, is that I think it's okay to sort of accept that, you know, a CMS does the amazing things that it does, and then there's absolutely a place for pure sales and marketing via a secondary system. Well, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, definitely. No, no, I agree with that. And, and I think, I mean, so we we use the term CMS, but we we call it care management system. Okay, yep. Um, but as well as that, I mean, it's so Luminary is built on the Salesforce platform, which is, is you know, the, it's the tier one 
um, you know, CRM system yep. as well. So out of the box, we have really good capability around inquiry management. Okay. Tracking inquiries over time before intake. Yep. Um, you know, we handle wait lists. We, we can do all of those things natively cool. because of that native, native Salesforce, um, you know, under uh, foundation. So um, really powerful. Does, does both quite, quite well. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. And um, let me ask it in layman's terms. Can you, if you also have Salesforce for your, I don't know, for your pure sales and marketing thing, does does that mean that it can easily, more easily integrate with Luminary from an API point of view? Yeah, absolutely. We have full connectivity. So, so oh. people have their own Salesforce orgs internally. We can connect with those, um, you know, for whatever needs. Yep. It comes down that we'll sit down with a, with a provider mm. and work out what their needs are and what we can do. And then we'll, we'll come up with the best solution for that. Mm. Mm, yeah, exactly. Because um, one, one of the things that I, I feel like there's a gap to be bridged between whatever your system is and whatever your sales system is, um, when it comes to, um, I call them either sometimes intake forms, referral forms, etc. you know, like a lot of that data, um, you know, getting the participant's name, the NDIS number, um, the stuff about their doctors and all the plans and all their needs, like, depending on the CMS that you use, a lot of that data needs to eventually end up in the CMS, doesn't it? So like hmm. it can be beneficial where possible to like have a, some form of a digital form or something that collects that referral information directly. So, so that even if you're still going through the, you know, the, the, the dance of the sales process, so to speak, and you, and you don't know until it's done, whether you've got someone signed up, if you just have that data point existing in the CMS, at, you know, through that form, um, I feel like that's beneficial. What, what do you, you do? Would you agree with that kind of point of view architecturally? Totally. I, I think a, a really good use case is a, it's around seal homes and vacancy management. Okay. So in those seal homes, so you could have a you know your public facing website. People could lodge an inquiry there. Mm-hmm. That can go straight through to Lumi as a, as an inquiry against the particular home mm-hmm. um, that you might have on the site, mm-hmm. and just tracking wait lists. Um, you know, doing sort of um, you know management of that inquiry going back to through the system, going back through through to the participant or their families. Um, and just having that full end-to-end life cycle of of the provi- of the participant um, and what their needs are and how how you know a provider can meet those needs. So that's certainly you know the data from from Lumery can can be made available to your public website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any queries that come through your public website can go straight through into Lumery as well. So it's yeah. really quite seamless. That, that is interesting. I think you know what my gut tells me. I want to do. A, I want to do a webinar on that. I want to. I want to. I want to go under the hood a bit more. And 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 you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um. Okay. Um. So, in terms of your role at strategic corporate development, what does that actually involve? Yeah. So it's quite a few things. It's quite varied, and it's it's a you know it's not a very specific title for for a good reason because it's quite a lot of things that I do. So. I guess one of the one of the reasons why I joined Lumery, so I was a customer of Lumery for a number of years through Life Without Barriers. Um, so I had that full experience of the implementation across, uh, you know, a very large organization, you know, a few thousand support workers um, using the system. Um, and we, we sort of, you know, we might touch on this a little bit later on, but some of the, I guess, opportunities to extend the product I was quite passionate about, um, so it's given the opportunity to come to Lumery and, and to, to do those things. So one of the key parts of my role is I own now the disability care product. So that's from, mm-hmm. you know, the product development and roadmap uh, through to, you know, supporting the sales process, mm-hmm. um, working with our partners. So Salesforce and other partners that we have internally that are part of the ecosystem. Um, and, you know, a few other things in that space, bit of industry expertise and so on that I bring to different different teams as well. Um, so it's really quite broad, which is, you know, how I how I wanted it to be. Um, and I, I've loved it. Lumery is a, you know, great product. I, you know, you, no surprise I'm going to say that, but also great people and a great culture um, as well. So for me, yeah, my role was really to sort of add the expertise that I have around, firstly, around the, the sector and the NDIS and the challenges that a provider is going through and to try and then make sure the product becomes the product that everyone, you know, even better than what it is now that, that people are really looking for. So I, I love that kind of jumping onto the other side of the fence, but with deep context, because you were directly in that role. Um, gosh. Yeah. Um, when we had um, the CEO of Southern Cross support services on, on the podcast, and she talked about um, visual care and how they actually in-house on purpose got a visual care developer 
Um, and it's just it's just another story about how like yeah. when you've got the right passion at the provider level, um, it, it's about like a deep integrated relationship where there's genuine buy-in. It's not just seeing it as a tick and flick, you know, oh, it's a system, whatever. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's bringing that deep buy-in to, to optimize the system. So I think that's really quite unique to hear those stories. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, tell me about pace, right? So what, 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 what impact do you think pace is going to have on systems like Luminary, NECMS, all of that? So I think pace, so you look at the broader changes coming, I think one of the great things, and this has always been part of the, the scheme, is around greater choice to uh, participants. So I think that's going to be really good. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's always a good thing. I think most providers would agree, though, that that adds extra challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to make sure the systems support that as much as possible, which is something we're working really hard on. And we've been working with the pay system for, you know, for quite a while now, just in the early days of pilot and so on. Um, and with some of our providers who are part of, you know, the piloting as well. Um, and, you know, any big, big system that comes like that, there are challenges with it. But um, I think everything from a technical point of view is is going really well. So we we have integrations now to to parts of the system where we're continuing to work on those as they're released. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing lots of development and testing and so on on those and working with our um, providers who are using the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's a little bit of work, work to go, but I think it's looking really good for the future. And I think that extra choice that it brings to, uh, providers will be worth, you know, the the effort involved in in switching. So, um, yeah, I, I think a good a good outcome, good development all around. If I recall correctly, I think there's some new things where is it that the participant has to digitally sort of associate and nominate their provider? Yeah, that's right. And there's you know changes to the way that the you know allocation of funding and sort of blocking of that funding happens and so on. You know, quite a few things. So. I think, you know, it's just another challenge. It's one thing you can guarantee about the sector, particularly with the challenges around funding mm-hmm. uh, for, with the government, that there'll be changes to come. So, um, you know, I'm sure everyone knows that that's what the future is and and we're sort of very working very closely to make sure we're ahead of all of those. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the future of the NDIS to me is is IT-focused as well as service-focused, right? It's, it's really, to me, I just see it as the philosophy of the scheme needs to just continue. Um, and it's only going to be increasing IT developments and enhancements, and it's just a, it's just always going to be about how much are you you know making sure that you're staying on that bandwagon and on that train. Like as if you can't, yeah, I don't think you can get off that train. Like the philosophy and the text is going to continue yeah. to evolve. If you don't stay on that train, um, then then you'll get behind. I think. Um, I agree. I agree totally. And I think that's a lot of that's driven by. I mean, the, it's you know. Working for a provider and then sort of having a lot more involvement with other providers now, you know, it's really clear across the sector. There's a lot of, there's a real strong passion and commitment to participants. Mm-hmm. And I think with the financial challenges that will will continue and will escalate, there'll be a lot of pressure to make things more commercially viable mm-hmm. without sacrificing any of the level of care. And I think technology has a, a big part to play in that. It does. It's interesting seeing the trends as well, because, I mean, I've observed over the last years the trends of self-managed, plan-managed, agency-managed. And uh, basically, the, the, the portion of the market that are self-managed is relatively consistent at around 28 29%. And it's just like staying flatline. Um, and I think that's down to personality type. Like uh, before all of my NDIS yeah. stuff, I did coaching, you know, on psychometric tests and you know psychology and all that stuff. And for example, I'm my son's a participant, and I chose to be self-managed because I'm that personality type, you know, yeah. for my son, right? I think that's always going to be fairly consistent. That's that's my point there, right? Um, yeah. There does seem to be a trend slowly of downward um, the agency managed side of things, but I think the agency manager is always going to be there because of complex cases, especially still an SDA. So the funding's too big. The participants sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, can be overly vulnerable. Um, because of the the lack of informal supports and networks and public guardianship and all that jazz. Um, so I think that that's always going to be there. Um, but again, the trend, therefore, is that plan managed uh, funding is is increasing. Um, so just, just if I can focus on the agency managed thing, you mentioned that API to be able to claim via Proda. Um, so, you know, is that, are, are you describing there, for example, when someone's agency managed the ability to make a direct claim? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we can we have integration with that. You know, currently we can check sort of um, support agreements and you know service bookings and those sorts of things, and you know 
notify in the system when something's changed. You know, sometimes something might change at that end and, you know, a, a provider doesn't know that that's happened. So we certainly have good sort of, um, you know, real-time linkage to that. Um, but, yeah, the claiming is, is quite a popular thing that we do uh, for a lot of our providers to so automate that process through yeah. through the APM. Yeah, that's really powerful. And, and and it will be will it be similar, you know, once pace is fully, you know, there, like will it be a similar kind of a deal for agency managed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So as providers transition uh across, we can handle that sort of, you know, change in um in that sort of endpoint and and mm. where we do that. So it should be quite seamless. Mm. Um, but yeah, a lot of testing being done with clients at the moment and we'll continue to do that. Mm. But yeah. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But it all makes me think about the business model because like, you know, as a coach that does sales and marketing stuff, I help providers scale. And one of the common journeys for this people starting out is I've got a one to two year period where I'm unregistered and then I'm going to be registered. And once I'm registered, then I want to do the registered stuff like SIL, right? That's a very common story, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, at that future point, when you're two, three years, four years down the track and, you, and you're doing the agency managed stuff, these types of things are quite crucial, um but there is indeed that initial period so you know being a technologist i kind of think about if you can have your things lined up as much as you can from the beginning there's benefits because you don't have to change over systems and migrate but for, from your point of view for, for that kind of smaller portion of the market that that side of things but they want to get there so to speak um what's your perspective on having the fully fledged cms from from the beginning yeah, you know, interesting timing. I was talking to a, a provider yesterday, a CEO, um, who started, who implemented the Limerick system a number of years ago when they were just starting. There were three people. Okay. Um, really? So they they made a decision at that point, let's get the system in and let's then grow with it. Um, and for them, it's worked really well. So, you know, if you were, they now have 150 support workers, mm-hmm. um, whereas if they were starting with that 150, it's it's it'll be fine, but it's going to be more complex than when it's much smaller numbers. So they had a really, they developed a really good understanding of the system. They knew, you know, how it worked. There were some things they wanted to add and customize. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then they were able to then grow quite seamlessly with the system that worked for them at that small scale to now a much bigger scale. So mm-hmm. look, I, I think the other guidance that I would give as well is, you know, it's a, an old adage, you should never all, automate what you don't understand and i think it's worth it's definitely worth making sure that you have robust processes mm-hmm. um you know mature mature ways of doing things now before you go to a system because you know trying to change to a system and then also trying to change everything you do as well just adds complexity it can still be done but it's it's a pain point that, that you know providers need to be aware of it's something that they should always be focused on best practice in their system whether it's manual or or system-wise, um, and then it just makes that transition to a system, you know, much more um, seamless. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, because the whole like um, the 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 wrong way to think about you know implementing a new system is like, oh, I'll get a quote from System X, System Y, and they'll do it for me. Like, the, of course, the SaaS provider, which just means software as a service, that of course they're going to have a project plan and a migration plan and an implementation plan and all that stuff, and it's going to be great. Tick. But but we can't, as providers, underestimate if you're migrating. If you're going to do it right and you're at 150 staff, 150 participants, probably going to be a three to six month migration project where you have to staff and resource that internally to make sure you don't muck up or miss any of the the, the migration points from a you know data point of view, process point of view, all of that. It has to be pretty. I know that from working at Accenture. It's a serious thing to yeah. live, so to speak. <laughs> It is, and it's, it's you know it's not really about the technology at that point to you know for us to to create an environment, have it ready, and start doing customization or configuration for a particular provider. Mm-hmm. That's not really a very time consuming part, but it's really then understanding what they're doing, them getting an understanding of what the product does, and that sort of gradual sort of you know increase in expertise and knowledge and confidence, probably more than anything, mm-hmm. and then moving you know a large number of people into using this as part of their everyday. Um, process so it does it it can be a time uh can take some time to do that process but you know that's one of the things too that regardless of the system whether it's a new hr system or a finance system or or whatever there is that sort of transition period it's not about just installing the software and walking away i think one of the other things in my role too that you know i've started to focus on 
is, you know, going back to my experience and doing this and also being a, a customer of Lumery and being going on that journey of implementation and so on, is some is some partnering with some of our um, providers to sort of assist with that sort of greater um, understanding. And it's not just about Lumery, it's about, you know, how does this fit in with the rest of the items on your technology roadmap? You know, what is the capability of a team to do some of these things, particularly in areas of change management, risk management, uh, governance, and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, things like um, data migration and, and integration and, and sort of reporting and analytics. What's the capability of the of the team in those things? So, you know, we've, we've been sort of helping people in the last, you know, in the short period of time since we've started that work, but it's been quite popular. People are really keen to get some broader assistance as part of not just the Lumery implementation, um, but it's, you know, really, really helps with the success of a, of the uh, implementation. So. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, okay. So in terms of sill houses, um, one of the kind of common gaps I see with uh, CMSs is that it's hard to see the house, so to speak. Like it's hard to like literally in the system go, I've got 10 houses, click on house, what, what's involved in that house, whether it be the participants or the staff associated to it, tasks, calendars, the whole lot. Like, um, what, what's the kind of approach to seeing the house in Bloomery? Yeah, it's a really good one. And it's something I heard quite a lot when I was at Life Without Barriers. Really, you know, there's really good analytics and reporting across uh, the whole organisation, but sometimes you just want to see one house. And if you've got more than one still house, you know, you really need that, that sort of... Um, uh, you know, close view of individuals. And it's so since I started almost 18 months ago, our focus has been really on that particular problem. Mm-hmm. So looking at a, an improved way that we do sort of the roster of care and sort of optimization yep. of the billings just at a house level. Uh, so if the uh, workforce management just at a house level um, and understanding all of, I guess, the cost and the claiming and, and everything, it's just focused on one particular house because you know, sometimes you look at the top line in terms of the numbers and things might be okay, but, you know, you really need to dig deep to see there might be, you know, some issues around performance or under under-servicing, under-claiming in one particular house, and you really need that sort of fine-grained view to be able to get to that. So that's a big part of the focus that that we have at the moment in, in the product. You know, there was capability there already, but we really want to make that, that really, you know, um, really solid so people can see exactly what's going in in one location but then also have some sort of preemptive um warnings and so on and analytics about you know performance of individual locations and make sure that there is those prompts um, to get in there and, and act if if needed yeah that makes me think again about sorry to plug my own webinar but i want to mention it is this is kind of it's relevant um there's a massive massive blind spot of even just having awareness around what you just mentioned there um, in terms of how well your SIL house is performing. Um, so again, the Mastering SIL webinar that I did, um, it's it talks about how the average SIL provider per participant is leaking $35,000 um, annually. And that's a combination of, um, you know, not billing correctly. Um, and so it's kind of like doing inefficiencies of the way you do your rostering. Um, and also claim leakage is the term. Um, so yeah. like that's a whole thing in itself. There's a, that, that, that webinar goes into why that happens. Um, but it, the reason it's a blind spot is because most providers just don't even, re- even realize that it's happening. So the first step is to have the educational piece to go, whoa, I, I was once blind and now I can see. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say yeah. that, but you, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, it's, it's the awareness of that. Um, and then you've got to then have the analytics to go, well, what to do about it? So actually, the, the, I make a connection in my mind between the good CMS and that awareness piece um, yeah. around that very common issue, right? And by the way, thirty-five yeah. grand per participant, right? So if you've got three people in the house, yeah. it's a hundred grand a year problem per house, you know? Yeah, well, there's big, there's big challenges in SIL, particularly around the areas of vacancies and so on, um, and even a lot of times, like if you if if you're a large provider and with a lot of locations, you may not know for a while that there's been a there's a vacancy. Um, so yeah, getting that insight into some of those things where is it, you know, and so I spent a long time in health insurance. So so claims leakage is a term that I'm um, you know, very aware of. But it's it's really it's there is a lot of similar similarities in this environment. Um and you know, it's you really don't want to change. One of the things that I, I guess I got from my time in financial services coming across into 
uh, disability and healthcare sector mm-hmm. is um, really the passion about about participants and really wanting to make sure that you know providers provide the best care that they can for those and and you know that you don't want to focus on the money too much but you don't want the money to be your undoing like mm-hmm. you, you want to make sure that you just do that efficiently and i think with the help of a system mm-hmm. giving you those prompts and letting you know when there's you know, an area that needs to be addressed i think you know it's a good balance so. Absolutely. Look, um, gosh, the word money and profit in the disability sector can um, sometimes mm. people have like a see it as a dirty word. Um, the, the kind of yeah. energy that I bring into this is no, like having delivering great service is the philosophy that you should be bound by, whether you're for profit or or not for profit. And um, so, of course, you need person centered, great philosophy, empower people, have a positive impact. But when it comes to money, it's not a dirty word. It's oxygen for your business because if you can't do it, yeah. and you know, when someone leaves, you've got a vacancy or whatever, you don't want to threaten the financial viability of your whole organization because you were just breaking even or you know, making a loss. Yeah. Like providers, I, in my opinion, um, have an opportunity to shift into a it's okay. It's okay to focus on numbers and focus on profitability. Yeah. No, I think so too. And, and you know, it's, I mean, particularly with more choice coming now, it's going to be harder for pro- providers. There'll be a bit more churn or people moving between providers because they're getting some better level of service. Mm. I, I mean, there's not, you know, it's different to other environments. You don't have a bunch of shareholders you need to return capital to. Um, but it's a, it's a good opportunity. If you've got a healthy surplus, it's a good opportunity to spend that money back on your on your participants, you know, mm-hmm. provide extra services or provide something they're not expecting. And I think that's a that's a great opportunity for, for people to uh, to use. So many things. And your staff too. Like we know we know that the industry has a staffing yeah. issue and you know um, recruitment is a challenge for people. Retention's a challenge too. So if you can, you know, find ways to celebrate, it's the kind of Richard Branson approach to, you know, was it train people up so well that they could leave, but treat them so well that they don't want to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I think I think definitely providers are getting uh, are getting better in that space too. So it's mm-hmm. um, yeah, but yeah. it's you know I always say you can't you don't have to be good at one or the other. You can be good at both. You can provide great yes. level of care and also you know have a, a reasonable surplus that you can invest back in 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 your um, participants and your people. Exactly. That that's the sweet spot. That's what yep. I'm all about personally, and I, I think it's yep. very important. Um. Tell me how you think AI is going to impact client management systems. Yeah, that's a really good question. And look, it's it's going to impact everything. So, uh, which is really exciting. Um, I love it. My my background is in mathematics, so I'm you know been very close to it and following it pretty well. So, mm-hmm. um, look, I, th- I think on a number of areas, we've talked about some of the operational side of things, you know, about workforce management and, and so on. And I think there'll be a big impact. On those making that as efficient as possible mm-hmm. um a system a system can do a good job uh, by itself already but still with some you know in, um interaction from you know administrators who are, who are operating that system but i think with a, a large complex environment you know ai is sort of bringing some real um, extra levels of automation i think to the workforce management problem um because it's challenging anything logistics is mm-hmm. is challenging so mm-hmm. I think the other one for me, and again, I, I said before, I like to bring it back to the to the participants. And I think another big one for me is around, as I sort of said before, about the the discrete bits of data that you record about participants. So whether it's their fluid intake, whether it's some be- behavioural incidents, whether it's an incident, another type of incident, mm-hmm. um, whether it's you know they had a good day creating some, you know, they did something creative and they they had a good experience. Those sorts of things, all of that data, I think, there's huh. a real solid um, case for for AI yeah. to really have, have a really good understanding across um, all of your participants and where they're at and what the next best thing we can do for them is. Gosh. So if there's something that's looking maybe challenging around, you know, they're not they're not drinking as much water as they as they normally are or something like that, and really spotting that and being able to say okay, we might need some kind of intervention or we might need something to, you know, to help this participant. Um, and I think things, you know, around a goal achievement, it's a, it's a big thing of mine. Yeah. And looking at, you know, making sure that we're sort of tracking the data and we're not 
losing any of that information. Mm. And an AI system could say, look, this participant is, you know, reaching those goals a bit quicker. Maybe we can add some extra goals. Maybe we can do something more yep. to enhance their um, life experience. So I think for me, there's obviously the operational thing, but I think there's a massive opportunity to do more. And it's something we're thinking about very heavily at the moment yeah. is about how it can create a better, better outcomes for participants. Oh, through that, AI. Just, that just gave me goosebumps in terms of the, the, the possibility there. Like I totally agree on the automation side of things. That's, that's like the absolutely thing. Um, and then what you just described there is how language models can, can, can do that, but you have to have the data all, you know, integrated. Um, so, you know, it, if we compare what you just said to say chat GPT, it's a language-based model, right? And so therefore you can feed it a bunch of words and say, what's the trend here, for example, or write me a yes. summary of. So let's say, for example, if you've got, here's where my brain goes. Let's say you've got your goals in your CMS, you've got all your, your shift notes in the CMS, you've got um, the OT report, the health reports, the behavior support plan, incident management, restrictive practice incidents, all of that. If you think about the philosophy of even say restrictive practice is that you should implement restrictive practice in a way that seeks to get RPs down to zero as much as possible. Mm. Um, so like, you know, if you have all of that data and you can literally look at the language, the words that are in the CMS, then you can use predictive analytics. You can spot trends. You can say, wow, look at this, you know, dashboards to go. Honestly, the times where we had an incident when, unfortunately, it was this support worker was on that maybe potentially was a contributing factor. Do we need to investigate that? Um, oh, look at the environment. Maybe they were dehydrated and then they had a, you know, uh, yeah. it, it had an incident. You know, it, it could be just so many things because you've got that raw data that you can yeah. genuinely get to a better outcome for the participant because you're setting them up for success, but you have to analyze yeah. it. You do. Yeah, yeah. So that's a challenge. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. Goodness, there's such an opportunity there. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I mean, I, when I was at Love That Barriers, my team did some work around predictive analytics for incidents. And it was really just looking at all of our participant data. So there's not, you know, technically AI, but I guess as an example to show what can come in the future. Yep. But we looked at all of the um, incident data and, and other some other data around um, our, our participants mm -hmm. and then tried to build a model where we looked at, you know, if we're going to predict an incident, what are the, what are the different events that can happen that might be a good predictor of a future incident? Mm -hmm. And we sort of then had an order and say, so here's here's the top, say, I think we had 50, the top 50 participants mm -hmm. where the data is suggesting there might be an incident to come. And then how do we then act on those things and make sure we can, you know, reduce the risk of that? So, but I think, you know, that's, that's fairly rudimentary, but I think what we can do in the future with AI is, is going to be a lot more sophisticated than that. Correct. Um, and again, just as a brief architectural point, ChatGPT, I believe, has um, released uh, enterprise level stuff now. And what that what that means is that, put it like this, ChatGPT is basically trained on, on the web and on tens of thousands, millions, hundreds of thousands of books worldwide. So when you type, tell me this, it's literally just looking at a huge data set. And it's kind of the publicly available data set. In the commercial world, um, and also the NDIS, we have very, very important requirements around privacy. So we're not going to just, you know, we can't dump that private information on, on the World Wide Web, metaphorically. Um, so yeah. I believe the kind of enterprise thing of ChatGPT is that the, increasingly, I think you're going to see a trend where AI tools say, we're going to use the tool, but we're going to put a wall around the data and, and we're going to protect yeah. that and keep it in the fortress. It doesn't escape for good reasons. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. would suggest that that's going to be part of the trend as well. I, that'll be very much so, particularly with really sensitive data that, you know, our, our providers would capture about their clients. I think one of the things I mentioned about Salesforce before, one of the benefits of a sort of a big enterprise system like Salesforce is that, so they actually have their own AI uh, similar to ChatGPT called Einstein, which is, again, within the, the, the bounds of um, the Salesforce ecosystem. So we can have access to that data in, in and run it through those systems without it compromising security risks and so on. So that, that, that's exactly where it's at. That's, that's really interesting. Um, now, um, Shad's award, and the, you know, the, when it comes to yeah. paying staff, right? So we've got rostering and managing our workforce. We've got billing, um, but then we've got paying staff, right? And the Shad's award is crucial. Um, what I see is that in, in CMSs, there can be um, 
either zero award interpretation and it's a very kind of one-to-one linear thing of is it the daytime rate, the evening rate, the Saturday rate, and that's it. And and and, and sometimes, like, I can't say this for certainty, but that might cover 90% of scenarios and it's sort of okay um, for, for a lot of providers. But there is a very crucial 10% where you've got all the nuances, right? You've got, have you got a split shift? Were you meant to be on a sleepover shift, but you got woke up? How many hours were you woke up for and what care did you do? Do you need a mealtime allowance? When do you need to have overtime? Uh, there's all these little variations of allowances as per the Shutterboard. Um, and they're crucial because if you don't get those right, you could have a fair work instance, right? In terms of someone, you know, saying, hey, you, you didn't pay me this, you owe me this. Um, so can you yeah. tell us about what, what Luminary does from a, what I'd call award interpretation point of view? Yeah, sure. So Luminary does full award interpretation and payroll processing as well as part okay. of the system. Yeah. Um, so that's something we can handle completely. And we, we do have, and going back to, to Shad's award, mm. I think everyone also, most providers, you know, on the Shad's award, but it might be modified a little bit with maybe some extra conditions or some changes or, or so on. So I don't think I've seen a vanilla Shad's implementation um, uh, to this point, um, which is fine because so we have a, a, an award builder tool within the system. So we support Shad's out of the box, mm -hmm. but also there's, you know, there's times when you need some modifications to that to support um, different things. And also there are some providers too that have enterprise agreements as well that are different on, on top of that too. So multiple awards um, and those conditions, it's, it's quite a common thing. Uh, and I think even within... An organization sometimes you know regionally there'll be some different different conditions to support you know um you know if they're very regional or remote um, there might be some other conditions to support those things as well too so um it's quite common but yeah we support um we support all that yeah cool that's really good um yep. my, my it brain has to ask two questions when it comes to say you've got billing and invoices and you know you can you can either sort of export things to another system like Xero or MYOB or whatever, or you can actually do stuff directly um, from the CMS, just out of interest from a billing point of view. Does it does it go directly from, from Luminary to the plan manager, et cetera, or do you kind of you know ping something across to an accounting system? So for plan management, it's different. So we'll, we'll sort of, we often tend to, with all of these, they're different, right? So you're going to a provider, and they'll have their own award interpretation and they they might not want to touch it. It's like, look, we're happy this works. Don't touch anything. We'll keep it as it is. So we really look at the specific needs of a client and then we work with them to work out what the best the best way to be with. with. So sometimes we might build a, you know, something on top of that to automate some process because it's something they specifically ask for. Um but yeah, it really does depend on on the environment that we're working within and, and what the, the customer needs from us. So okay. in theory, though, if you wanted to build directly to a plan manager from Loomery, could you do that without having to raise an invoice and say something like zero? We we could do that. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, and then let me flip it to the payroll side. Do the pay slips um, and all of that stuff, do they come straight out of Loomery or again, does it have to go via payroll, uh, the accounting system? Yeah, so within the system, it'll do that. We then do the interface to the finance side of things um, and take care of that. But again, I just want to clarify that it does come down to some of the nuances and particular environments that clients have. So we mm. we, we we can do those things, but we we often have to work within what's there already to do that. So Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because my understanding of when you do payroll directly from a CMS, it might, you know, you do the payroll in the detail there, but then it would be typically like a, a financial journal across the accounting system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. So we can we do that for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's, it sounds like it's a very flexible system, but also can can just do things quite well, not quite genuinely comprehensively. You know, from all of these dimensions. So very powerful. Um, yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, I think you know when I became a customer, it was very early days of the product, and it was still you know mm -hmm. quite very robust back then. But I think we've now had sort of seven or eight years of mm -hmm. um, you know, development, and you know nearly two hundred implementations of, of providers all around the country. So mm -hmm. you know we've learned a lot from those things, and we've built the product up to the point where it can it can do a lot of things now out of the box. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Look, I found this fascinating. Um, <laughs> um, what would be your let me ask you one final question for the for the for the providers that are um scaling um in the context of it cmss etc what would be 
your pearls of wisdom that you'd you'd give to those providers that are in that growth stage, where, wherever it's at, whether it's starting or, you know, going from five mil to 10 mil, whatever. For those scaling, what's your wisdom as a CIO and as a technologist? Yeah, so from a technology point of view, I think, you know, one thing I can look back on at my time at Life Without Barriers and other places too, but mm-hmm. really comes down, a lot of it comes down to the quality of your team. And I think, you know, with a big vision and very clear vision that you communicate uh, to those people, but at the end of the day, it's your teams that, that do that work. So... Um, I would say, you know, if there's big growth ahead, you need you need a good team to support that and you may need some extra people, which is often tricky in, um, in this environment for, for providers of, of different sizes. But um, I, I think, yeah, just, you know, be strong leaders for your people. Um, make sure they're inspired and, and ready to go and, and forge ahead, I think. Um, there's so much opportunity. I think it's, you know, Within this um, sector, I feel like it's, you know, it's very self-motivating. You don't have to look too far to see what the difference you're making in people's lives um, mm-hmm. is. And I think as well, you know, there's a lot of, there will be a lot of change coming in the sector. Um, that's that's a, a norm. So I think be prepared for that. Mm. Um, but I think as well, the, the last one I would say is when it comes to a, a you know, a, a CRM system to manage all of your uh, participant information and so on. I think really it's best to it's best to look and see and and have a chat to us. I mean, I'll have a chat to anyone regardless of what system they're using because I'm, I'm still you know very passionate about supporting mm-hmm. technology leaders in the space. So um, you know anyone feel free to reach out to me uh, to have a chat. That that'd be you know I'd love that. Um, but really look at the ecosystem that you're working within and the different systems, whether it's HR and finance and so on. You know, just putting in a new CRM. Uh, and CMS not necessarily going to give you everything you need. If you want full automation and efficiency, you might have to look at the wider um, platform as well. So yeah, completely agree. It's a it's a it's a spider web. You've got to connect all the dots and see how it scales along the way. You know, fix the problem now, but make it work through the future. Brilliant, fantastic. Um, Jason Collins from Lumery, um, thank you so much for coming on today. I've, I've really really enjoyed this conversation, mate. Thanks, Chris. It was good. Me too. Me too. Yep. Pleasure. And, and, and uh, yeah, just for those listening, um, if you enjoyed the episode, my name's Chris Hall from Peak Provider. Um, if you're interested in scaling your business from a sales and marketing strap point of view, we offer sales and marketing consulting and events. Go to peakprovider.com.eu to check it out. And I'll put a link to the, uh, the Lumery uh, software for those of you that want to check it out in the show notes below as well. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you soon. Cheers, everyone.